You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Well, good morning. I have a question for you this morning that I'd like you to uh, participate in. And it's a humbling question for some. It's this. Have you ever written an answer in a test or an exam that you weren't particularly proud of? If so, please raise your hand. Okay, good. I'm, I'm in good company here. So here's some examples of what those, uh, those questions could look like. For example, in math. Where's the X? There it is. Well, what about this one? Please expand 2 bracket X plus Y. How do you do that? Well, there's a simple answer. Sometimes we get into those spots, right? And wisdom just escapes us and we just put whatever's on the page and it ends up being foolish. Hopefully it ends up being somewhat funny. But the reality is in life, the most important tests don't happen on paper. And the tests that God has for you will help you understand your character and also help you understand what you really rely on, who you really rely on, and what motivates you in life to live. What is the driving force behind your life? Today we're going to be looking at the life of David, primarily through Psalm 34. And I'm going to ask you to turn to your Bibles to Psalm 34 right now. And uh, in the series that we're going to look at today, as far as the chapters we're going to be getting an overview of, we're going to be learning about David's faith test and what he learned about dealing with fear. So this is Psalm 34. In your Bible, you'll most likely see a little uh, heading right underneath it. It says, A Psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. So what I want you to understand as we read the words of these psalms is that these words are not coming from a happy moment in David's life. This is coming after a series of disappointments. Looking back and realizing that, wow, I haven't been in living all that well for the Lord. And this is where I'm at today. That's where the heart is from when David writes these words of praise in his psalm. The illustration that it makes me think of is the, the gentleman who has a multi-million dollar business deal that he totally flubs up and the company loses all the money. And in fear and trembling, he takes his resignation to his boss's office and he hands it to him. And his boss looks at him and says, Are you kidding? We just spent millions of dollars training you. That's exactly what David was facing. He's saying, Lord, I've messed up. My life is full of bad choices. And God looks at him and says, David, are you kidding? I'm redeeming this. There's so much that I have in store for you to bring glory to my name. So when you hear these words, when we read them together, remember this is the heart I believe that David is reflecting a very joyful heart after a hard season of life. So please stand with me as we read Psalm 34. And we're just going to read verses 1 to 14 if you follow along with me. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. So as we look at the lessons that David learned about dealing with fear, I believe the first one is boast in the Lord. In order for us to handle fear properly, we need to boast in the Lord. The Bible says here, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will praise the Lord when? When everything is going well? No, at all times. At all times. We can look at the life of David and say, well, yeah, this is the boy, this is the teenager who in the strength of God slayed a giant, a nine-foot man. Of course you could praise the Lord then. you just seen something miraculous happen. But that's not where David's writing from. David's writing from a series of deep disappointments. And he says, praise the Lord at all times. The humble will hear and be glad. Any appropriate response to God develops a humble heart. And that's what David says. If you're facing fear, remember to boast in the Lord and do that with a humble heart. And then he says, don't do it alone. Let us exalt his name together. Are there people that you live life with that when you get together, you don't just talk about hockey or TV, but you boast in the Lord? And you say, do you know what God did this week? Do you know what I had the privilege of being a part of because God let me have this conversation with someone? Boast in the Lord together. I have a question for you. How do you typically respond to fear due to adversity, particularly to that? How do you typically respond to fear due to adversity? Do you run from it? Do you make plans of your own? Do you just get really anxious and turn to some other sort of a crutch to just get you distracted from it? David would say, boast in the Lord. And the only way that you will do that is if you've made a habit of boasting in God beforehand. You're not going to just do it when the hard times come. That's why he says at all times, boast in the Lord. Get used to doing that. Make that a habit of your life. If it's not regular part of what you do right now, start making it regular. And in time, it will become very, very natural. So boast in the Lord. And when you're doing that, it helps you recognize the second point as far as dealing with fear. And that's to recognize the slippery slope of the fear of man. You're either going to fear God or you're going to fear man or your circumstances. And you need to recognize when you start going down that road and hopefully you can stop early on and turn back to God so that you don't go too far down this path. Psalm 34, verse 6 says this, The poor man called to the Lord, And the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The key phrase here that I want you to note is this poor man has nothing to do with economics. He's not talking about I have no money. He's talking about when troubles hit, I realize I have no power in and of myself to save myself. 
I can't do anything that's healthy if I rely on myself. I have to turn to God. And this poor man, when I call to God, God is faithful and he answers. Don't think you can solve problems on your own without God's help. You might fix it for a while, but you haven't done anything of eternal worth. The poor man cries out to God. We're going to take an overview now of a number of chapters in 1 Samuel, all the way from 1 Samuel 18 to 22. So we're going to do a bird's eye view. This is where it's important for you guys afterwards to hopefully dig into the word yourselves and let some of these other truths come out because this text is very rich. But we're going to be focusing here on some of the lessons that David learned about fear. And the first thing is he was just scared. He was legitimately afraid. The king wants him dead. Okay? Not only the king, it's his father-in-law. That gets pretty bad, right? So the first things we hear is that there's two times where, where it says Saul, Saul was actually afraid of David. Isn't this the, the kicker, right? Saul is afraid of David, and because of that, he wants David dead. He takes a spear two different times, and he tries to kill David. The first time that David gets away, it says, and the Lord, in the Lord he escaped. Right In the Lord, he got away. The second time, it says, David fled. David escaped. David eluded Saul. Okay, Don't read too much into that, but I think there's going to be a start of a little progression here of what we see happening. So David has legitimate fear. His life is at stake, and it's the king who wants him dead. And he knows he's anointed to be king. How do you deal with this? What are you supposed to do? I think the next stage of the slope is that we see that David started living a life where he wasn't seeking God. And this isn't characteristic of David. You read all throughout 1 Samuel, you read through Psalms, what's characteristic of David is boasting in God. But we see a couple of events where, where God isn't mentioned as far as uh, what's happening in David's life. So the third time happens where Saul just says, I want David dead. And he knows that David's at home, he's with his wife Michael, and he sends some guards to the bedroom to have him killed. Michael says to David, David, if you don't leave today, you are going to die. If you don't leave, you'll be dead by tomorrow. So she helps David uh, get out of the window from their place. He escapes. He runs away. She takes the household idol. It must have been fairly large. She puts it in the bed, and she puts some sort of hair around the top of it so that when the guards come, it gives them, David, a little bit more time to run away. Okay? So this is the scenario. So the Bible doesn't mention any more detail than that. But let me ask you this. Why does David, a man after God's own heart, have a household idol? Especially one that's as big as a man that can fit in a bed. Where does that come from? Tells you that there's something still wrong in this picture. And his wife wasn't an Egyptian. or She was a Jewish woman. Why is there an idol in their home? So he runs. And he runs to... He runs to Samuel. Samuel's a prophet. Every time you talk about Samuel, he's talking about the Lord and blessing the Lord. And all the Bible tells us in this scenario is that he goes to Samuel and then they leave to Naoth. It doesn't say anything about inquiring of the Lord. It just says, and then they leave. The next story that we hear is actually 1 Samuel 20, which is what Pastor Terry talked about last week. And now... David meets with Jonathan, and he tells Jonathan these words you can just hear. He's, he's taken to heart the words of his wife. And he says to Jonathan, Jonathan, your dad wants to kill me. I am just steps away from death. Right? 
He tells, he tells Jonathan a little lie to tell King Saul to figure out whether or not Saul's really angry with him. So let me just stop for a moment here. In between those scenarios, David runs from his bedroom. Michael lets him down the window. He, he runs to see Samuel. And then he runs to, he just keeps on running for a while. One of the things that happens, if he and Samuel had stopped, I don't know, but I think God might have shown him some way that God was going to provide for him because Saul learned that David was with Samuel and he wants him dead. So he sends out a group of soldiers to go kill him. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on these guards and they started prophesying. Saul says, what? Sends a second group. Second group goes. Same thing. Holy Spirit falls on them. They start prophesying. Like third group. Third group goes. Same thing happens. Holy Spirit comes on them. They start prophesying. What? Are you serious? Saul says, that's it. I'm going. Saul goes. Holy Spirit falls on him. He starts prophesying. Do you think maybe if David and Samuel had inquired of the Lord that God might have said, you don't need to run. I've got you covered. Your life's in my hands. Now, I don't know this for sure. I'm reading into this a little bit, but I see this this kind of progression of what's happening as Saul, as David's not inquiring of the Lord and not seeking God is a sure sign of danger. If you're fearful, but you're not seeking God, I can tell you you're on the wrong, you're on the wrong path and it's not going to go anywhere good. Because the next path is this, is completely ignoring all, God altogether. David goes to Ahimelech and Ahimelech is the high priest of the time. He goes there and Ahimelech says, David, why are you here? David, Ahimelech's kind of scared because he knows Saul's not that happy with David. He says, David, why are you here? And David makes a blatant lie. He says, I'm here on a mission of the king. Uh, I need food. I need supplies. Can you give it to me? He blatant lie to, to Ahimelech. And Ahimelech says, well, I have this consecrated bread that I can give you. As long as your soldiers are pure, they've been sexually pure, and they're, you know, I can give you this consecrated bread. David says, thank you. He says, but what about a sword? Do you have a sword that I could use? And he goes, yes. Actually, we have the sword of Goliath. It's wrapped in a cloth, and it's hiding behind, or it's placed behind the ephod. And David says, that's great. Give it to me. That's the best sword ever. Now stop and think for a minute. This is the sword of Goliath. We remember David, when he first comes on the scene, there's this giant Goliath who's defying God. And David goes out and says, you come at me with a dagger and a sword and a shield, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God. Who are you to defy the armies of the living God? Today the Lord will give you into my hands. He hit that giant with a stone, and the Bible tells us he went, took Goliath's sword and cut David's, uh, Goliath's head off. This is the same sword. So now he goes and he looks at this sword and says, great, this is it. This is what I need. And it's right behind the ephod. Now, I don't know if you're aware of what an ephod is, but there's different types of ephods. There's, there's linen, which is what most of the priests would be wearing, but the high priest wore an ephod that would look similar to this. And on that would be the breastplate of, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. That's what it would be called. I'm getting my things mixed up. But there's 12 stones. And each of those stones represent one of the tribes of Israel. And attached to that is also the Urim and Thummim, which we're told, we don't know exactly how it gave the priest discernment, but we know that more or less it was giving them a yes or no answer when they inquired of the Lord. Ahimelech, we later on, finds out when he talks to Saul, says, David always comes and inquires of God through me. 
But here, in this occasion, he runs and he's going for a sword that's hidden behind the ephod. Do you not think that maybe this was God's gentle grace to say, David, slow down. You haven't even inquired of me yet. You haven't asked for my direction. David was stuck in so much fear right now, he wasn't making decisions like he normally would in the strength of God. And he says, give me that sword. I want this sword. And then he leaves from there, and he goes to the town of Gath, which is where Goliath comes from, to to see King Achish. So he goes to the town of Goliath with the sword of Goliath that he killed Goliath with. Wow. He goes there, and then the people start talking. He's asking for asylum. He wants to be in a safe place here, there. And the people start telling King Achish, well, this is David. He's like the king of the area. Haven't you heard those songs? Saul has killed his thousands, and David's killed his tens of thousands. That's him. Saul, David, hears this, and the Bible says he took it to heart. And he got extremely scared, extremely fearful of King Achish. That's what the Bible tells us. He took it to heart. He got extremely scared. So he started thinking, I'm going to act like an insane man. I'm going to start scribbling around walls, and I'm going to let drool come down my beard. And then the Bible tells us that King Achish sees him and says, I don't want someone like this in my area. So go, just leave. I've read so many commentaries, and most of the commentaries say that this was God's blessing to David, that it was kind of his way of getting out. I'm not personally convinced of that. I think David was just making, like, he was making blunders, blunder after blunder after blunder. And when you read Psalm 34, he's looking back and saying, whoa, look at the progression of where I've come from. From letting fear grab my heart to not seeking the Lord, to totally ignoring him and just acting like a fool. And this is David, a man after God's own heart. I want you to be aware of this, that you and I, we're in the same type of danger. We can be in a loving, saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but a circumstance comes up and uncharacteristically we might start allowing fear of man to grip our hearts. And we start going down this deadly slope of the fear of man instead of the fear of God. Are you aware of what those triggers are in your life? Are you surrendering those to God? Are you starting to learn to ask for his help early on? You know what I think really wrecked David? And I'm, I'm really guessing at this, but I think what really wrecked him is that he found out that after leaving Ahimelech, that Saul sent soldiers there to find out what was happening. And Ahimelech just told him, well, I came, I gave David supplies, right? He was telling the truth because David had lied to him. And uh, one of Saul's servants, his name was Doeg, had been in the temple. And he said, well, yeah, David was here and he gave him the sword of Goliath. Saul was in an, in an upraise. Up he said, I want all the priests dead. None of his soldiers would do it because they said, no, we're not going to do that. But Doeg said, oh, I'll do it. And Doeg killed 85 priests that day. David hears this Psalm 21, or First uh, Samuel 22. He hears this story and he says, their blood is on me. I'm responsible for that. That's where the fear of man takes you. But we hear these wonderful words in Psalm 34, where it says, can you read that there? It says, 
I prayed to the Lord and he answered me and he freed me from all my fears. Psalm 34, verse 4. God's so gracious. And the fears that trap me of man, he's, he's freed me of them. I'm not going to fear that again. I see where that goes. Whatever I do, it goes wrong when I don't fear God and I fear others. So I want to ask you two questions here, or a few questions actually. And the first one is this. How have you experienced the fear of man? When you're scared of men or circumstances of people, what do you naturally do? You get anxious. Again, do you try to solve things on your own? Do you run? Next question. How have you experienced the fear of God? In your life, when you look back and you say, the Bible tells me to fear God, how is that evident in my life? What have I learned that makes me think, yeah, I do fear the Lord? Third question. Which type of experience is more emotionally charged for you? Are you more scared of man when you're just really honest about it and say, yeah, when I look at my life, I've made a lot of, yeah, that situation, that scared me. And I made decisions because of that. Do you do that more because of man? Or do you do that more because of God? And I'll tell you this, that the fear that emotionally charges you most is the one that you're going to live by. You can't avoid it. So what happens there? I uh, was blessed when I was 18. I became a Christian when I was 16. And uh, really it was because of a fear of hell. I just became aware I could die and I don't want to go to hell. I was born in a Christian home, so I knew I had the option of Jesus Christ and I wanted that option. Didn't really live very well for Christ. I went to Bible school when I was 18. First two months at Bible school in Germany was fun. Had a blast. Had a really good time. Don't think I really spent much time getting to know God better. And uh, one night in the middle of the uh, in the middle of my sleep, I, I had a dream, and and in that dream I was in my house, and uh, all of a sudden I heard a trumpet blast, and I went to the window and I looked, and I couldn't see Jesus, but I could see that something was happening in the heavenlies, something was happening in the clouds, and I could see I could see my friends and my family just ecstatic, and that they were starting to meet the Lord in the sky. And I was overcome with joy. I could not believe this is it. This is finally the day that Scripture talks about. Jesus comes back. I'm going into eternity. This is fantastic. I open the door and I run and I jump and I land flat on my face and I start screaming like I've never screamed before. And I woke up in my bed and I was just drenched with sweat. And God in His grace made me realize, Doug, you just wanted me for what I could do for you. You don't want me. Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, I didn't fear you. Lord, I wanted to really use you because I just want to, I want to get out a hell-free card. And God in his grace drove me to him. I'll tell you, that day, fear was a hugely positive, motivating force in my life. And I said, Lord, I don't even know you. I've gone to church most of my life. I went to a Christian school. I'm in Bible college now. But I really don't know you well. I'm familiar with lots of stories, but I don't know you well. And I got down and I opened up my Bible and in a joyful fear. I started reading scripture and in three months I read through my Bible. And it was just, I just, I was like a dry sponge that met water. That's how I'd explain it. 
Finally, the Holy Spirit got my heart and said, Doug, you're so dead without me. I have life to give you. Get to know me through my word and trust in my Holy Spirit. And that was the key turning point in my life. And I learned very much there that fear of God is the basis of everything. And that's what scripture says. Fear is the base of wisdom. Fear is the base, I think, of understanding God's goodness. And this is the next lesson that we learn from the life of David. That when you're dealing with fear, that we should focus on God and trust in his goodness. Focus on God and trust in his goodness. I'm going to read these verses to you, verses 8 to 10. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear Yahweh, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack will not lack any good thing. The invitation here is to taste and see. This is saying God wants to be experienced by you. He doesn't want to just have an assent that that's true or an understanding of what Scripture says, a Bible verse. He says, taste me, see me, take a risk, dig in. And when you dig into me, when you trust me with something of importance, something of value, I will show you that I am good. And in that goodness, you will start to experience what real joy is. I don't know about you, but the words fear and joy don't usually seem to go together very well. But they're really intended to. Fear and joy are hand and glove together. Let me give you a few illustrations that I hope might help. Some of you might have gone to a different job, or maybe you're in university now and you're getting close to the end of your degree. So there's a joy in finishing your degree, but there's also a fear about the next chapter. Fear and joy kind of go in at the same time with that experience. Many of you in this room are married or engaged to be married, and when you're at that stage, you probably have a joy of getting married, but you probably also have some fears about getting married. They kind of go hand in glove. I'm assuming that most of you who have children, when you were told or when you found out that you're going to have your first baby, that there was lots of joy and there was also a fair bit of fear. These kind of things go hand in glove. The fear of God and the joy of him go hand together. If you're not experiencing a lot of joy in God, you might not be experiencing a lot of fear of him. So thinking about this week that we're coming to, uh, Jesus has just risen from the dead. And there's some ladies that are going to the tomb to find him and uh, just to to see what's happening at the tomb. And the stones rolled open. And as they're wondering what's taking place, they meet Jesus. And Jesus reveals himself to them. And he says, now go to my disciples and Peter and tell them that I'll meet them in Galilee. And this is what we read in Matthew 28, 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell his disciples the news. Fear and great joy. They go together. And fear is the one that joy is based on. So, the point here, healthy fear, if it's healthy fear, it draws us to God it produces joy. And then that gives us also the motivation to obey God. If you don't see fear and joy combined, I can suggest that you might be focused more on the fear of man than the fear of God. 
If you say, that's totally foreign to me, I don't know how fear and joy go together, do a look and ask yourself, am I more fearful of man than I am of God? So here's some questions for you. What redemptive stories has God written in your life that now lead you to praise him? I shared with you that dream I had when I was 18. That was November 1990, and I can tell you the reason I know the date. It was the 21st of November, because that very day I sat down and I wrote a poem, and I wrote it in the front page of my Bible, and this is what I wrote. Lord, forgive me for my sins, for all the feelings I have within. Forgive me for my jealous pride, for all those sins I know you've died. Forgive me when I just don't pray or when I tell you to go away. Forgive me for not trusting you or doing the things I ought not to do. So many times I've gone astray, but by my side you always stay. So many times I forget you're there or that you're the one who really cares. I thank you for your undying grace, and I long for the day to see your face. By your side I want to be to love you for all eternity. Fear of God leads you to love of God. That's the way it works. I haven't written anything on this page in over 25 years. I read this poem yesterday in my devotions, and I didn't add a line to the poem. I just added a comment. I said, Lord, I thank you for every moment that I am aware of your presence. That's the key of life, being aware of God's presence with us and his Holy Spirit in us. So, one more point, and this is how we end off the psalm. Share wisdom from past experiences. If you want to deal with fear, it's important that regularly you're talking about what God has taught you in your life to other people. And that they also share with you. David says in Psalm 34, verse 11, Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So I'm pretty sure that he talked about the value of boasting in God. Pretty sure that in that teaching he'd say about the danger of the fear of man and the slippery slope that you go on when you start that direction. And I'm pretty sure that he'd tell people, focus on God and trust in his goodness. Thinking again of this Easter week, Peter, just before he was told by Jesus that he's going to deny him three times, Jesus says these words to him. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to shift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to be deserted. He knows that everybody who voiced praise for him on this Palm Sunday was still going to want him dead. He knows that. Jesus isn't surprised by sin in my life or your life either. He does offer us to live in his grace and his Holy Spirit so that we don't give in to sin. I have the freedom, you have the freedom, and every choice we make not to sin and to glorify God. That's what freedom is. People without Christ don't have that freedom. Their whole life is apart from Jesus. They can't do something to glorify God. When you enter a choice and there's fear, let fear drive you to say, I'm going to choose in this rely on the Holy Spirit and to honor God. That's the important choice to make. But when you fall, and you will, we will fall many times, 
God will say, use those experiences to strengthen your brothers. When you get back up, remember what you've learned. Now strengthen others. So this is the last question of the day. Whose teachings have helped you learn the fear of the Lord? Well, there is a second question. How have you invited others to learn from your failures to fear God? Are you consciously doing that? Are you having conversations where you make Christ the focus of your conversation? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close our time together. But one of the things I want you to invite invite you to consider is, again, the course that we are offering called Understanding Your Story with Christ. I don't know how much you've sat down to look through your life to see what are the lessons that God has been teaching me about who he is and who I am because of him. These are three nights where the primary gift is to give you time and a little bit of direction about how to think through your past so that you can recognize God and glorify him and be more determined to fear God more than man. So with that, we let's praise the Lord together in song.